0: gum hey oh i think we're live all right <laughs> it's a great Here, first image yeah sorry just taking out my gum i want my breath to be fresh for the broadcast okay well uh, welcome everyone to another episode of what's our site called again the sloan pod <laughs> the, the Sylvester sloan-, sloan-, sloan podcast network yeah it shouldn't be that hard to figure out Sylvester Stallone Podcast Network, basically it's just the Rocky Minute, Slycast, Going the Distance, Rocky Series podcast. We're all joining forces, and you know yeah. the big wigs, the big heads of the Sly world are coming together. And I'm really excited today, guys, to review today's movie. Who else is excited? This guy.
1: Yeah. We knew going into this vote that there wouldn't be a loser here, that no matter what movie got selected, it would be a winner.
0: We had three movies up. What was it again? A Victory, Lockup. Up
1: and Nighthawks, which— Nighthawks. People can't stop talking about what a great movie that is. I don't know where they (laughs) were when the vote was being cast.
0: Yeah, it was close. Lockup won, and it happened to be my choice, but it won by four votes, three or four votes. You beat me by one second, Stallion. You beat me by one second. (laughs) Let's get going with Lockup. Lockup came out in 1989. It came out 30 years ago.
2: Mm, Wow is that crazy? 30 years.
0: Crazy that 1989 was 30 years ago. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Before we talk about the specs of the film and all that good stuff, let's talk about first the first time you saw this film and any memories you have of the f- I'm 90% sure I saw this film in the theaters, and I'm starting to doubt myself because it was a rated R film and I was 14 at the time. Now, I did sneak into movies all the time back, back then because when I was 14, I was kind of bigger for my age. I looked older than 14. I'd like to think I snuck in because I'm 90% sure I saw this in the theaters. That being said, I bought it on VHS once it was released on VHS. And I watched the crap out of this film on VHS for years, for years to come. And then, of course, I went on Blu-ray to this day. I hadn't seen it and probably hadn't seen a full viewing of this in over a decade. So I would Mm -hmm. say the last 10 years of my life, like since I got remarried nine years ago, I've had like four new kids in nine years. There's a lot of movies that I haven't repeated viewing. So I don't have that extra time just to watch a movie out of the blue. So I haven't seen this movie in a while until yesterday. I watched the whole way through and yeah. So that's the latest viewing was yesterday. But before then I, I seen this movie many, many times and had fond memories and those fond memories did not diminish on yesterday's viewing. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: You know, I saw this when I was a kid, 89, I was 11. I definitely didn't see it in the uh, movies. I must have caught it on one of the channel 11 viewings of it, PIX. In, you know, local. Yeah. Yeah. PIX. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Where they bleeped out the curses and everything, but I wasn't a big movie watcher. Like if I saw a movie once, that was pretty much it, unless it was called star Wars or, uh, you know, Indiana Jones. Uh, yeah. So I, I haven't seen it since I was a kid until up until yesterday. So I, I mean, I guess you can say that was like my first official viewing because I don't, I don't remember shit about it. So wow. Here we are. Yeah. So
0: basically it was like a a first viewing for you almost. You knew the movie existed. You probably had some sort of memory of him being in prison, but you don't remember. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh Correct.
1: Yeah. I don't think I saw this movie in the theater, and mainly because I don't think I saw a lot of movies in the theater in 89, except for like what, probably Batman, and there might have been an Indiana Jones movie. Is that when Last Crusade came out? Yeah, Uh, I think so. And maybe maybe a James Bond film. But either way, I probably saw this on VHS at some point when it came out in the home video market. I had watched it prior to whenever we did it for Slycast a couple years back. I know me and you, Ryan, were talking about this yesterday, just about how great the Blu-ray looks. Is he muted?
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. sorry. Mute. I, just, I just muted it. Sorry for a second there. Yeah, no, I was uh, I'm just trying to get their show out on Twitterverse while you're talking there. The transfer, the Blu-ray, looked really nice, at least on my PC. And I will say again for the Rocky movie box that I have, the, the Blu-ray transfer is horrible. I don't know if that's the same for you guys and your Blu-ray when it comes to the Rocky films, mm-hmm. but... Yeah, we've talked about this, man. It's terrible.
1: Yeah, and I don't know if it's the fact that Lockup is, what, 10 years later than the first Rocky.
0: No, I will say, sorry not to interrupt you, I just (laughs) watched the 1974 classic film for the first time, uh, Gene Hackman in The Conversation. Oh, and I saw that on like AMC – sorry, on my movie channel, like TV, the 70s channel. I've got this movie channel that does the 70s, 80s, and 90s. It looked fantastic. Well, that was – high. It was, was high-def a- high through my TV. So obviously they, they, they have this format. Yeah, for but that home. was Francis
1: Ford Coppola – Big budget movie. I mean, if I mean, the first Rocky is an independent film, right? I mean, it's it's low budget. Yeah, uh, it's really,
0: like I, I understand. And I agree with you, but I've, weren't the oldest filmed in Panavision? Like, was the film well? Yeah, really and, and, much different, and, and, and it
1: also gets back to what they were using to source those Rocky Blu-rays. I've never done the research. They might not have been using pristine prints or whatever. I mean, whatever they used for lockup was pristine. That is mm-hmm. probably one of the better stallone blu-rays i've seen from pre-1990
0: yeah it looked good It, it, it did look good and well so now we can start talking about who directed this film and i i didn't know anything about this guy until i until i looked him up i didn't know anything about john flynn did any of you guys know anything about john flynn before looking him up no i just know he died back in 2007 yeah so he directed 16 movies from 68 to 2001 so he had a thirty-three year career, but he didn't do a lot of movies. He don't, he did only did about one movie every two years. Three decade long career, but as time went on, the movies came less and less as he got older. He worked with three actors from our previously reviewed film, The Specialists. Which three? Rod St- Yeah, Rod Steiger in The General, nineteen sixty-eight. <laughs> Remember Rod Steiger? <laughs> yeah, you mean to tell me, Chupasardo, <laughs> Pastardo? Bastardo, yeah, I forget. And then the film right before lockup, he directed James Woods in the movie called Best Seller. Hmm. Wasn't it? It
1: was James Woods that hooked Stallone up with this project, wasn't it? Gonna make um what four consecutive live episodes where we mention James Woods. (laughs) I think (laughs) we should we
2: should do it in every single
1: one. I think we have. have I know last episode or the episode before, I, I attempted a James Woods joke that went over like a, a fart in church. So. <laughs> you guys oh, didn't even laugh, so I, I can't even get a laugh out of my co-hosts. Well, We're, we're not you, pity laughers. Yeah, that's right, man. We're a tough crowd.
0: <laughs> we're the toughest crowd you'll
1: ever have. We hold ourselves to higher standards, right?
0: <laughs> that's it. Uh, John Flynn, like you said, died at the age of 75 in April 2007. So he hasn't been with us for almost 12 years. And his last movie was 2001. Also, in the movie Bestseller with James Wood, he uh, directed Brian Dennehy. Uh, was a co-star in that movie, oh. as we know. Brian Dennehy was the uh, sheriff Teasdale Tees- Teasel Teasel. Jeez, yeah, Teasel in the First Blood. Yeah, and did I see on his filmography he directed Out for Justice after this with Seagal? Yeah. yes, he did. He directed with so he directed Stallone and Seagal like back to back. So that's is, that the, is that the
1: is Out for Justice the one where he goes into the, like the bar and they're playing pool? And he wraps the pool balls in the the napkin, and he's like just like s- cracking guys across the face with the pool balls. Well, if he if he's not doing that, he should have. We I'm telling you not to make this a Steven Seagal podcast because nobody wants that. People barely want the Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, podcast. there so was like, a run <laughs> where we saw probably up through like Under Siege, we saw every Seagal movie when it opened in theaters just to watch him like dismantle people with his aikido and his. I don't have to do anything, but you come at me, and I'll break your arm kind of stuff. Marked for Death, where he breaks that Jamaican guy in half. Yeah, awesome. Awesome.
0: <laughs> Look, I watched Fire Down Below in the theaters.
2: Oof. You know, I think I might have seen that in the theaters as well. Wow. <laughs> that uh, EP, uh, Environmental Protection uh, a- Agent or something like that.
0: Is that the one where he has a ponytail, there. and he mumbles his lines, and then he... That's all of them. Oh, okay. <laughs> The movie Lockup, if it was made today, would have cost $37 million to make, which is actually a very small budget, $37 million. For kind of a, what, what you consider it starring a big star of the day, $37 million isn't that much. However, it broke even with a $42 million box office, which I found very surprising that this movie did not make money. That's terrible.
1: It was a tough sell. Like you said, it was R-rated. It didn't have kind of the appeal of, let's say, like a Cobra which was kind of hot and flashy and sexy, if you
0: will. This was a guy in prison movie. Yeah, I. but I mean, I was a, such a Sly fan at the time, and I still am, obviously. But it, back then in 89, I was a huge Sly fan. I was 14 years old. Just, everything he did was like gold to me. And I'm just surprised that more people like me that were on the Sly wagon didn't show up. I don't know. I don't know either. Like the critics killed it. There's a pedigree behind this. I mean, it was co-written by Jeb Stewart, who? What? Two years earlier, had co-authored Die Hard. Hard yeah, yeah. Well, here's the thing, yeah, I, uh, Doug. You probably read some of the trivia, and I'll let, do. You want to talk to that in a second here, but I just want to say what this film was nominated for some awards. Though, do you know what what it was nominated for? Razzies. Yeah, as always. <laughs> <laughs> Why is Sly nominated for Razzies? He is such a Razzie darling. Like they rag on his career, man. It's, they're lazy
1: they're just lazy and the Razzies are like some of the most uninspired award shows or awards that you'll, you'll ever see just because they agree go such easy targets.
0: And don't get me wrong. There are some bad movies that Sly has been in, but lockup should not be anywhere in the discussion no. of a, of worst picture. So it was nominated for worst picture. Really? Like out of all the films in 89, there just wasn't, they couldn't think of four other films other than this one or another film that was just worse than this picture. And, of course, Worst Actor for Stallone. And then Worst Supporting Actor for Donald Sutherland. And, and they
2: didn't even win any of them.
0: Yeah, I mean, the only thing you can give Donald
1: Sutherland... Oh, is there probably, we go, Las uh, Vegas. There's the sirens I promised on Twitter.
2: <laughs> we can always count on you, Craig. Yeah.
1: Well, and and we should have a dog bark soon. Um, okay. The only <laughs> award I would give Sutherland anything for
0: is Worst Character Name. in oh, this? Drum goal. <laughs> And uh, his nose hair. I'll tell you, I'll t- <laughs> they call that a mustache in America. No, no. Uh, the one thing that high, the one thing that the high def Blu Ray gave me was uh, there was a lot of uh, Donald Sutherland nose hair. Now he was fifty four <laughs> in this film, and he's a little bit older. And uh, but high def, I'm telling you, these early high def movies when they're when they're transferred over. You get a lot of male nose hair that uh, they didn't see coming with the high-def.
2: Oh, <laughs> man. That's unfortunate.
0: I will say that the Razzies, though, though they lost, uh, quote-unquote lost, they lost to uh, Star Trek Five for Worst Picture, uh, William Shatner for Star Trek Five for Worst Actor, and Donald Sutherland lost to Christopher Atkins in the movie called Listen to Me for Supporting Actor.
1: Christopher Atkins? Isn't he... Um... God, that name sounds really familiar.
0: Yeah, I looked them up and I didn't really recognize them. Well, we'll talk about all the actors, but as we do, I always like to say how old they were in the <laughs> film, especially when films get older, if that makes sense, because I find it very fascinating being 43 myself right now. Like, I am the same age that Sylvester Stallone was in this movie. And it always fascinates me that when I look at Sly on screen, I'm like, can I do or be what he's being on screen? It's, I always kind of, put myself in his shoes as an actor as a person and like that's what a 43 year old was doing in 1989 in this film so i find that interesting i don't know if you guys find ages interesting in movies but no. I, I usually do i do i do okay. but this i mean i would say he's he looks about 43 yeah Oh yeah. He in the looks early
1: fine. 40s it would be my my guess and his physique looked fantastic too he looked pretty good there that's one of the problems that you have with any movie with either sly or like Arnold is sly was like an auto mechanic in this movie (laughs) right right, right. (laughs) yeah like like when does he have time to just get in the shape that he's in and stay in it i mean like it's just so hard to maintain that kind of i think that's the my biggest critique of of stallone's career overall is sure for copland he got out of shape which we talked about in this movie, you didn't really even need to show what kind of shape he was in. There's that one scene where they strip <clears throat> him down, and then you're like, whoa. Aside from that, like when he's wearing his clothes, he doesn't look crazy. But I almost wonder if it was like that Stallone ego that's like, hey, I'm going to the gym eight hours a day. I want people to see this.
2: You know what we did get, though? We got the gratuitous Stallone wearing briefs.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Nothing more gratuitous was- than stop where my mom will shoot. <laughs> Oh, no. We didn't. Get, yeah, at
0: least he was wearing boxer shorts and not those Speedo shorts in this film. He was in the in the delousing
2: scene. Were, the, were those was, Speedo underwear? Was that Speedo yeah, underwear? Yeah, they, they were briefs. Yeah. They were a, a gray color. Okay, well, <laughs> so I, like, I wasn't, wasn't looking that... <laughs> out. The underwear
0: in that scene. I wasn't looking that closely, trust me. Or was I? That was one of the critiques I did have about this film was I didn't notice it at 14 because he was the action hero when I was a kid and that was you know par for the course for these guys to show off their bills but now watching this as a 43 year old and everyone else is clothed in this jail but for for some reason frank leone the character that sly plays he's shirtless or in a tank top for the majority of the film the only time it did kind of work of course was when he was being deloused oh and when he was in the uh, hole for six weeks you know when he when he would have no clothes i would almost suspect he would probably would be naked in real life that he have no comfort whatsoever so his six-pack was really ripped too
1: i noticed that it's wild because he did what rocky five right around this same time he, he did rocky five 1990s so the year after yeah and rocky five's not a movie where he's really known for his physique although we don't really see it much except in the flashback to part four where i guess he had to maintain some kind of
0: flashback for part two where he gets the cuffling from mickey
1: Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> well see it, but that's not even accurate because he's he's pretty ripped in that. And in Rocky II, he wasn't as we know, he was kind of just a regular guy.
0: Right. Yeah. So the movie starts off with what I think is a really nice Bill Conti score. <laughs> The piano playing, and I remember watching this movie, even as a 14-year-old, really liking the music in this film. What are you guys' thoughts on Bill Conti's piano score?
1: It's tremendous. It's Bill Conti. He really knew how to bring life to Stallone movies. I mean, if you look at all of his scores for the Stallone films, just knocked them all out of the park. And this one's no, no different. A lot of memorable cues in this one. Man, a score can really make or break a movie, and this one definitely helps elevate it. I loved every bit of it. It starts
2: and ends the same, but then there's still a little bit of that, that uh, light piano throughout. And that's like, I love that piece of music. It's really good.
0: So I just want to welcome uh, Jonathan Howell to the chat. He's the only one chatting. So thanks, John. He's from the Minute Impossible podcast. So he says that he's had the Copland body for years. <laughs> <laughs> Me and you both, brother. <laughs> i've got the party at kitty and stud's body i think i've got oh yeah i'm working
2: on the rocky four body oh hasn't wow. come yet it hasn't come yet the movie starts off
0: with frank leone looking at photos and yeah, do you like leone or leone sorry it is leone isn't it My i don't know don't they pronounce it both ways yeah that's true i think leone sounds more italian you know
2: <laughs> yeah it does yeah
0: i go with leone Okay, so Frank Leone, Macaroni Leone. It's racist. Is it? I don't know. It's <laughs> not racist. It might be <laughs> racial. you have got Frank working in a garage, and if you're a cold viewer of this film, if you like literally didn't see a trailer or know anything about this film, you'd, you'd see that this guy's working on cars, a nice piano music, and then this girl walks into the garage, and they have a little bit of banter about, you know, do want to check under my hood. Excuse me? Yeah? I'm
3: looking for a mechanic. Anybody around here fit that description?
0: Yeah, I
4: might be able to help you out. What do you need?
3: I have to get it fixed right away. I need somebody
4: who really knows what they're doing. Mm-hmm. I'm not that busy, so what's the problem? Um, I'm not sure. Maybe I ought to get under the hood and check it out. Yeah, maybe I'd better... Mm-hmm. It's okay from
3: here. Great customer service. Mm-hmm.
0: I think she said, "Yeah, I've got a lot of flappy noises under there." <laughs> that's awful. <laughs> Sorry, uh, Craig didn't laugh at that one, so I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> it was like Craig's joke.
1: That's his payback. No, no, that's I was slightly tuned out. I was reading about uh, the actress in this, in this, and I forgot that she died last year.
0: Yeah, so she died last year, and we're talking about her, her name is dark. Two years ago. Yeah, Darlan, yeah, I guess two, almost two years ago. Darlan, Darlan Flugel. Who oh, I also Flugel. remembered from To Live and Die in L.A. Oh, there you go. So she, uh, yeah, it's really sad. She was 35 in the film. So she, was, of course, eight years junior to uh, Sylvester Stallone, which obviously makes sense. So she was 35 during the film. Into this film. She was actually a perfectly cast wife role. You know what I mean? She looked like the kind of girl that a guy looking like Frank Leone would be dating. But she passed away in 2017 at the age of 64 from Alzheimer's.
1: Terrible, terrible disease and uh Yeah, I'm, no kidding. I said story, but we've got her performance here which, you know, is, good
0: job. Uh, yeah, yeah. There was no bad performances in this. Can you think of any that were like oof?
2: No. No, even the asshole guards did a good job
1: of being asshole guards.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Craig, you you're shaking your head. Was there somebody that you thought wasn't
1: that well, great? Well, Tom Sizemore Got close to going over the edge.
0: It was his first movie, mm-hmm. was it? Yes, this was wow. his acting debut. It grows on me. I kind—I of, like the way he is in this movie, and I give actually more credit to the, his performance, knowing that this was his first movie. And drumroll, ladies and gentlemen, guess who gave him his first shot in the movies? Sylvester Stallone. Sylvester Stallone, mm. another actor that what he brought into the film business. I'm not too sure how. But it, the trivia that I was reading said that Sly got Tom Sizemore this role. And it's a pretty meaty role. Oh, yeah. The down yeah. role. And to this day, uh, Sizemore is good friends with Sly and just, you know, has been very grateful to this day for that. Still friends, yeah. I don't know. I I That's what I read. If there's something that's happened that I'm not aware of, I'm, I don't know.
1: Well, Dirty Sanchez happened. Dirty Sanchez?
0: <laughs> you, you don't remember when Tom Sizemore went crazy? Well, I don't know if they're hanging out with Thanksgiving dinner. Like, Tom Sizemore has has had issues, personally, yes. But I think there's no animosity between them at all. Well, didn't Tom Tom Sizemore,
1: wasn't he, like, trying to get in the Expendables? Oh, probably, maybe. Yeah. I mean, you'd think if they were still tight, Stallone would have found it. Yeah,
0: but to be fair, no. uh, Tom Sizemore's (laughs) never been an action star, though. He's not an action star. He's never done an action. But He might be in a film that's action-y or has other action stars, but I've never seen him.
1: I'm sure there's at least four video pieces piece-of-shits that he did that you could call action movies. (laughs) This character he plays in this movie is typical for him. Like, this is what he was good at. Mm -hmm. His fast-talking, like, scam artist kind of guy. Oh, and and not to jump ahead, but, I mean, that final sequence with him, the acting there is tremendous. Yeah. But there's some other points in the movie where he gets a little – a little close to going over the edge.
0: Sure. It's a little its a little bit of a corny character. He's the guy that in jail that can get you whatever you want. You know, he's the guy in jail that gets – he got car parts for that Mustang. That's impressive. So, so that's the thing. You were talking, Ryan, about how the, the opening of the
1: film leads you to believe that he's just some di- guy, you know, leading a normal life as opposed to being on uh, uh, yeah, furlough from prison.
0: Now, Doug, you're a cop. We always have to bring that up every episode. Mm-hmm. What is furlough <laughs> exactly? Like, I understand it's a break from jail, but how is it granted and how often is it given? Is it something they still do or? Uh, yeah. In um, minimal security prisons, you're not getting
2: hardcore criminals furloughs. You know, you have to earn it. You have to be a trusted convict because you're trusted to kind of just go on your own for the weekend. I mean, they grant furloughs for special occasions like weddings, funerals yeah. and uh, like holidays, some holidays you do. But you, you have to be an exemplary inmate. To even get one granted as far as i know i don't work in the jail but as far as i know that's how it works
0: so the little sequence here that we have before the before he goes back to jail during his furlough we see that he is a mechanic now we think this is a picture of his father that we see but it's not we'll find out later to who it is but it's a picture of an older gentleman that he seems to be fond of and then we see that he's got a girlfriend he's crazy about and we see that he's good with the kids he's playing football we also see that he has a football past so we kind of get this car- feeling of this character that he's an easygoing, nice guy, just wants to do his time, get back out there in the community, we'll open up that garage, start his business. How would you guys feel
2: if you're a parent of one of those kids that they're playing football with a, a prisoner out on furlough?
0: I would probably live it uncomfortable.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'd say so.
0: And then uh, the action kicks up right away. He spends his first night in jail, well, back from furlough. The tension kicks in right away where we see these... Serious guards coming into the jail And it looks almost like a breakout It almost looks like, what do you call it, Like almost like a mission Guards coming in from another jail Taking Frank out of his pretty cushy Security prison into What will be a major max security prison
4: What is this in here, Jimmy? I don't know, but it's official Frank 210 On your feet, Leone. On your feet What do you want? Take him what are you doing here? You're being transferred. Transfer where? What the hell? I say that's not necessary.
2: that back off, Prisoner is in our custody. Transferred where? Real busy, like a jerky camera. A lot going on to uh, add to the confusion, I guess, that Frank is experiencing. They're trying to confuse us as a viewer as well.
0: Yeah, he keeps saying, "I haven't done anything. Why? Why is this happening?" Even the guards at the minimal security prison like, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. Uh, they're like, we have orders. And we get the first glimpse of Captain Meisner. Yeah. Played by John Amos. This guy is the MVP of this film. Any Anyone disagree with that? No, I love this guy. He delivers every film he's in. Yeah. He is awesome. Boy, you can what, a, what a presence. What a presence. At this point, he's just doing his
2: job. He's not a bad guy. No. He's doing his job. He's doing what he was told to do under
1: what he assumes are legitimate orders. He gives, it, he gives everybody the benefit of the doubt. So he's given the warden benefit mm-hmm. of the doubt here that this guy, Frank deserves not to sure. be
0: transferred. Right. Not sure. Yeah. We know as a multiple viewer of this film, his character arc and where it goes. And so there might even be a tendency to be like, Oh, why is he such a dick at the beginning? But he's not, like you said, he like, he's in a dangerous job and he got to be captain for a reason that he's not going to ask every criminal that he's, transferring hey are you a nice guy is this are you somebody i can hang out with after you get out of jail like he's treating every criminal the same you come into my jail here's the rules this is what you're gonna do obey the rules or you're gonna get a lot of pain from a lot of pain from me before we get to Miser and frank talking to each other we get the scene of him getting thrown in that truck he gets to the new prison and i thought this was a little bit over the top yeah but, pun intended right yeah uh, we say it every time i know it <laughs> comes out of that Again, uh, Doug, this is for you. When Frank is transferred to the prison, we see shots of all the guards outside the gate, and they all pump their shotguns. Mm -hmm. Now, I know that's done for effect for movies, but what happens when you pump a shotgun? You move the shotgun
2: round from the magazine into the chamber, so it's ready to fire.
0: Would you do this at any point unless you had any attention to firing? No,
2: no, (laughs) no. Some guys, the old-time guys would do it, to do it in front of a group just to get a reaction out of them. If we were called for like a group that won't disperse, you know what I mean? Sure. Like the old-time guys probably back in the 90s and 80s would jump out of the car, pump their shotgun and try to get people to pucker up a little bit.
0: Yeah, but right now the prisoner Frank hasn't even left the truck yet. No earthly reason for them to do this. It's like they're transferring like Bane from Batman or something. Like what <laughs> yeah. are they afraid of here? It's almost like that's what we're getting is that like We as an audience of what kind of prisoner is Frank, the fear that these cops already have, this guy that's going to exit this truck, They got I counted it was four shotguns, four of them. Again, I, I know a little bit about weapons, but my understanding is shotguns have a spread, right? Yeah. So yeah. what are they going to do? How are they going to shoot this guy accurately if he does anything with him being surrounded by other officers in handcuffs? Oh, no. <laughs> There's no shooting him. They're shooting him
2: and everybody around him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: That's how dangerous this guy is. There'll be uh, casualties of the cops if if things go awry. Do you guys want to talk about the prison real
1: quick? Because I'm sure when I lived in New Jersey, I drove past that prison quite a few times in Rahway. I'm
0: I'm sure you have as well, Doug. I grew up five minutes from there. Before you guys get on your New Jersey love fest. (laughs) I will say, as the only Canadian out here on the West Coast, this is, I think, the fifth movie in a row that New Jersey has featured in the film that we've covered. I, what is going on with Sloan in New Jersey? Am I missing something about him as an actor, that he does New Jersey films? Yeah. Stop from My Mumble Shoot was New Jersey. Copland, definitely New Jersey. This one's New Jersey. What else did we do? The specialist. Is there a Jersey thing in the specialist? I swear there was. Cause I, if not four out of the five, so four out of the five films off the top of my head have dealt with New Jersey. Assassins.
2: There was no Jersey.
0: Was it? It's one of those two. One of those two did have it. Cause it's been every film, maybe about like a mention, right? It's either mentioned or something it's Jersey, but anyways, mm-hmm. go on, go on with your Jersey jail talk there. No, I was just going to
1: say, you know, it's, it's always cool when you live near a movie location. Cause that's um, a real prison. I didn't redo all the research I did for the Slycast episode, but I don't remember if they actually filmed inside of Rawway, or if they just used the exteriors. I think it was all on location. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so we they were they were real- filming with
2: real inmates. There's some trivia about the inmates too, like they handpicked every day of shooting like 200 inmates. Yeah. They got little bonuses like food spread and uh, $26 a day or something like that.
0: Yeah. They got paid extra wages and like the extras' yeah. wages, and they got donuts and food. Yeah. It was like a lottery draw or something each day. And all those background prisoners are legit mm-hmm. inmates. And you can tell you can find actors that look tough and then you can just get the guys that are prisoners. In fact, they had about 30 or 40 bodyguards in all the crowd at all mm-hmm. times dressed as prisoners just to protect the extras and the real crew from these prisoners.
1: Chink Weber, that obviously had to be a a guy that's still serving life in prison, right? I mean...
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, he was one of the extras. (laughs) Okay, we're going to talk about... Well, before we get to Chink Weber... I mean, that prison, I haven't driven by there in about
1: four years now. It still looks exactly the same as it did when they filmed Lockup. The building itself is the same. It had a new paint job. The dome, I think, is red now. Oh, really? Yeah.
2: I remember... Back in the '80s, when I was a schoolboy in Carteret, New Jersey, which is the next town over from Broadway, uh, I remember when they were filming there because it was big news for our town. You know that Heck yeah. you know, our neighboring town was having a Sylvester Stallone film filmed in the prison. And I remember that, when I did see it as a kid, I remember that those exterior shots of the prison really hit home because I was like, "I know that. That's I know that building. <laughs> I've been by there." Pretty cool. Yeah. Speaking of Chink Weber, Chuck Webner. Who uh, was supposed to be Chink Weber in Rocky Two was serving time in Raleigh State Prison at the time that this was filming.
0: Wow. Okay. Trying just... to say something about Chuck Chuck Webner that I'm getting tired of. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? This whole like he's the inspiration for Rocky. He, all the inspiration he was an unknown boxer fighting the champion of the world, going the distance. That's mm-hmm. it.
1: Oh, yeah, Yeah. it's not like they took his life story, but the spark of the inspiration. No offense to Chuck, but I don't
0: think there's anything in Rocky's personality or his home life or anything that represents who Chuck is. He didn't even go to distance. He got knocked out in the 15th or the 14th, I think. Either he took Muhammad Ali further than Muhammad Ali ever had been before, and I think he knocked him down. Those are great elements, and that's awesome that Sly – now, was Sly really in the crowd – was he really in the crowd? <laughs> no, 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 I mean, it's... No, that's the story, bro. He was in yeah, the crowd. That's, that's the I,
2: official story. He was watching it from wherever
1: he was. I didn't hear that he was in the crowd.
0: I Me, I, I,
2: Me and Ryan was, seemed to have
1: heard the same interview. Yeah. He was broke, wasn't he? How was he going to forge tickets to a Muhammad Ali fight?
0: Well, maybe exactly. his broke.
1: Maybe he uh, rented out Butkus for the night. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I met Chuck Wepner a couple times. I don't know if we've talked about it on this podcast. No. I even talked about it on Slotcast. I'm sure I have. A girl I was dating, her family was from Bayonne. Chuck Weppner's the Bayonne bleeder. And her dad was actually good friends with Chuck Weppner. Family get togethers and stuff like that. Birthdays, Chuck and his wife Linda would come over. So there were a couple of those get togethers that I was at. And uh, I'll have to see if I can dig it out. There's a picture of me with Chuck and my ex girlfriend's father. And man, Chuck was just an immense, immense dude. I mean, I'm not big by any stretch, at least. You know, uh, vertically, <laughs> um, man, he's got like those meaty, right. meat hook hands and stuff.
0: But I, I guess the sore spot that I have, and I don't know him personally, and I don't know everything about anything, but I, I heard that he kind of got bitter about this whole rocket thing and even went after some money on Sly. And Well, I I, I, well, well, well the story is what? That he was offered a flat
1: payout or a percentage of future earnings at the time nobody knew Rocky was going to become this movie that we were still talking about in 2019. Right. So like any sensible person, he took the guaranteed payout. And I think he ended up feeling kind of bitter about the amount of money that he left on the table, which you can't fault the guy for being angry about that. Right? No, but I, I guess,
0: I, I guess
2: I, I didn't know if he needed to go through legal means. I'm sure if he just had an aside with Stallone and, you know, I, I don't know. said look, man, why don't we just do this
1: like gentlemen? I, I don't know. Well, like know. put up your dukes? No. <laughs> no like, like, I mean, imagine you're part. a guy like Sly, and then all of a sudden you're dealing with everything like a gentleman, and then you're paying out money to every bozo that comes. That's comes what
0: out I kind of you. feel like. I feel like it's like George Lucas getting sued by everyone because he, he saw that, uh, what was that, samurai movie, uh, The Fortress. Oh, it was The Fortress? The Fortress. It was like this Japanese movie. That he borrowed the idea of the bumbling idiots or whatever, which was C three PO and R two D two or something like that, and the save the world type thing. Well, anyways, the point is they're stealing an idea and there's a genesis of an idea. And I think, anyways, at the end of the day, Rocky to Me has got nothing to do with Chuck Weber's knife. And I still have to, I still have to see that movie, The Bleeder. Mm The Bleeder is it's called Mm Chuck or Chuck. Chuck. It's called different things in
2: different countries for some reason. He was arrested in 1985 with four ounces of cocaine, and he, he was sentenced to 10 years. That seems like a lot Dude, for that's silly. four ounces. but
0: I Yeah, know. Jonathan, you're still on the show. Thanks, brother. Yeah, so Jonathan, correct us. The Hidden Fortress. Okay. All right, so let's get back to Lockup. Let's talk about Meisner as a character. So John Amos was on that TV show called Good Times. Did you guys ever watch those in reruns or whatever? Heck yeah. No, I, Dynamite, man. Come on. <laughs> Dynamite.
1: She
4: has a figure that makes the number eight look like the number one. And a smile that lights up the night. And it all belongs to Kid Dynamite!
1: You definitely watched that show. What was the yes. name? Jimmy... AJ uh, Walker. AJ Walker. Yeah. Walker.
0: Meisner, the way he had those sunglasses and his his presence was just powerful, and you could almost—I wonder—in another life, he could have been a police captain or a prison captain. I think he would have done well. He's got the look. Yeah. Does anyone remember his two rules? Well, what? Don't piss off Meisner, right? He says, don't cross Meisner. Close. He gave Frank two rules.
4: Conrad.
1: Two
3: things. One, I am Meisner. Two.
0: Never fuck with Meisner. Inside. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that was great. That was our introduction to Meisner. So we're thinking, boy, Frank's gonna have a hard time with this Meisner guy. Yeah, out, that's what I thought. But we find out later that his true opponent or the true issue in the prison was, of course, Chink. What was his last name again? Weber. Uh, Chink, Chink Weber. Chink Weber. Whoever. that was sonny landham yes yeah, so yeah. let's talk about let's talk about first the actor sonny landham so he passed away in 2017 as well yeah congestive heart failure at the age of 76 so he was 48 in this film and i think it looked really good for 48 he was a he was a handsome big kind of guy like, and his voice that deep voice he has yeah it's such a menacing like he plays that bad guy so well and he's an intimidating at least on screen he seemed like an intimidating fellow Predator
1: made quick work of him though, so he couldn't have been that tough. I've always been bothered by how quick the Predator dispatches him off screen. Yeah, we don't even get to see it. It's like literally like 30 seconds. He's like, go, I'll take care of the Predator. And then you hear him (laughs) scream like four seconds later. (laughs) That's it. I think, and he also had a party in Kitty and Stud in his past, didn't he? Did he? Uh, I did read that he got his start in porn
2: nice <laughs> <laughs> i didn't see what, but i, oh, I knew in 48 hours yeah you know i saw that movie way younger than i should have the bad guys in that movie scared me
0: he was a great heel or a bad man i thought he did a great mm. job very intimidating did you know that sonny ran for governor
2: of kentucky in 2003 i do well, know
1: he got into politics i couldn't remember what office he ran for
2: though he lost that election. He ran for the 27th Senate State Senate District of Kentucky in 2004. Then he announced a run for the U.S. Senate in 2008 until he went on a radio show and called for the genocide of Arabs. <laughs> and he was subsequently removed from the race. <laughs> oh, man.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. All until right. People don't know how
2: to keep their mouth shut.
0: So he wanted the extermination. So he was a villain to the end. eh? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Was he really Native American?
2: I believe he had part, right? Part Cherokee or something like that? Yeah.
1: The other thing, though, is Chink is a really complex character here. Sure. More so probably on paper. Everything he does from the moment he starts interacting with Frank is at the warden's command, Mm right? Right yeah yeah it, yeah he's he's basically way. just doing he's doing what the warden is telling him to do, yes, now, do you think that he would have been naturally
0: inclined to take that role at the prison otherwise? this probably wasn't his first rodeo doing this kind of thing for the warden, so he even had a special jacket. It's just interesting, you know that that's a character that uh, you dismiss him pretty quickly as a black
1: and white bad guy, but there's a a layer of complexity there when you look at the relationship between him and the warden and what he's being tasked to do, and how that gets him to start doing worse and worse things to try and break Frank. Which it's just interesting. You wonder how bad of a man he truly was. It's just a cool character, in my opinion. And
3: I thought I could rely on you, Weber. You won't be pushed. Because you're not pushing in the right place. Everyone has a weak spot, Weber. Find
1: his, Well, I'll have to find a new yard. You know, that reveal, it adds a layer of complexity um, to that character that I think is really cool. Not knowing too much about this
2: movie, again, watching it yesterday, I thought with Frank kind of being able to deflect all that shit that Weber was giving him, I thought there would eventually be some kind of like mutual respect between mm-hmm. Chink Weber towards Frank, but it, like you said, Craig, it only got worse and worse. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And that beat down that Frank gave Chink, that was brutal. That was, that was some good violent fighting. I thought.
1: Frank took a page out of Seagal's book, right? He wraps the little five pound plate in the uh, towel. And mm-hmm. just starts going to town with it, man. Handing out the slaps.
0: Violence in this movie, I can see it was rated R the violence was not comical, like or like in a comic book way, but it was brutal. Like the impact that in this movie of the punches, even the football game, the violent football game in the rain and the mud. You felt those hits. I noticed a couple things in this film. Stallone in the trivia, and I saw it in the film that he did a lot of the football stunts, which in a way is a stunt getting hit, tackled, pushed around. But the fight sequence between him and Chink. And then between him and Manly at the end of the movie, a lot of the ground scenes with him getting kicked in the face and stuff was a stunt double. So it's really weird that some of the stunt double scenes were very tame stunts compared to the football scenes. So I I always found that weird. But I heard he almost broke his leg, though, for real, in that football sequence.
2: Yeah, some of those hits were brutal. Yeah. Speaking of the fight scenes, the foley in those fight scenes was ridiculous.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Punch
1: sounds were terrible. Yes, that's like a problem Hollywood had in that era of filmmaking, you know, and Rocky was probably partially responsible for it, man, but everything just sounds thunderous. It's like the Foley people didn't remember what things actually sound like.
0: Right, yeah. It is weird. It sounds like every hit, he's hitting like, I don't know what the sound is like. And it's a like crunchy, cracky, mm-hmm. vol- the volume of the sound is so big. Of every, me forearming you in the face is going to have this big explosive sound. It is kind of silly. That did take me out a little bit of the fight. And and again, I'll say about Sly, no offense to him, he, he's an action star. Absolutely. He's got a great presence on screen. But his fighting techniques in the films have been, always been terrible. And in fact, it wasn't until Expendables Part 1 where he fought Steve Austin. Krav manga style, right? Oh yeah, within well, Ramble part three, where he did the stick fighting. So he has the ability, to Sly as a person, to train, and obviously with the boxing moves, he has a grace to him that he can train with some sort of hand-to-hand style combat. And we know, I said it before, with Matt Damon from the Bourne movies, Matt Damon can't fight in real life, but they made him look like he can. I don't know why they didn't do that with Sly in more movies. Now, they didn't do that much in the 80s and 90s. They didn't do that. It wasn't until like The Matrix where they kind of made fighting cool.
1: I think that's what the thing is, Ryan. If you weren't like a Bruce Lee or a Jackie Chan or somebody that was, or a Steven Seagal, I just don't think audiences held people to those standards. And maybe The Matrix might have been the, the movie that kind of broke it wide open and said, hey, stop being lazy, learn the moves. Mm-hmm. the loan had that rocky fighting style you know i think they wanted to Power. display
2: that punch that left hook or the you know the right cross as much as they Ooh. could yeah. i was gonna say he looks like a boxer when he throws that punch
0: yeah and i will say again that final sequence of him fighting those guards if you go back and listen to the sounds the after dr they call it when they do the after ADR, PR, Yeah, adr it's horrible. They must have had Sly go into room and go, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I don't know. Like again, it's 1989. It took me out of the movie a little bit with that performance of this of the ADR of the fight sequence. There's two characters we've got to talk about still. Uh, I liked Eclipse again. We have Eclipse with oh. played by Frank McRae. What were the other three films that Frank McRae was in with Sly? Fist, Paradise Alley, Rocky and, Two. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Every time I see him on screen, I just want to give him a big hug.
0: Yeah, and he was 45 in this film, and he was also a short-time NFL player back yeah. in the early, late 70s, I think. He's still alive. The I mean, same
1: yeah. year, he did a Bond movie as well. He was in License to Kill. Nice.
2: Hey, Craig, on your Week of Rocky Minute this year, didn't we talk about him?
1: I believe so. He was at the very... He was the meat house. Um, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah.
2: Well,
4: friend, I gotta let you go. Oh, come on. I'm, working. I'm going to do
3: it,
0: Real good,
4: but we got to cut back on manpower, and you ain't got
0: enough time in, you know. Senority, how about if I take a cut and pay? All right, can't do it. Union rules, yeah. Hey, rock, I gotta lay, rock, I gotta lay you off. Union rules, <laughs> but even even in that scene, you
2: liked the guy because he was, like, Rock, I'm sorry, yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, you want to, I just want to give that guy a hug every time yeah. I see him on screen, man. Yeah, he played a big part in this movie, and I, I yeah. loved him. Loved him.
4: See why they call you Eclipse. What are you about, six,
0: seven? Yeah, I do block a lot of sun, don't I? That
3: you do. I do block a lot of sun. Uh, Get on that other team. That's who you're
0: playing for anyway. Get on
1: that other team. You're playing for him anyway.
0: Yeah, that's right. He was very one liners. (laughs) So, yeah, he comes around and gives Frank the job in the garage, in the prison.
2: Still interested in the job?
0: Yeah, I am. Uh, I love the sequence, and it's a montage sequence. I, did you guys catch the uh, building the car montage?
1: Oh, yeah, set to that song.
0: What was that song? I can't remember. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey,
4: well, I'm a friend, a stranger in the black sedan. I want you to hop inside my car. I you, I just got to tell me I'm a little more man. I got to take you to the nearest star. I'm a vehicle, baby.
0: Yeah. Anyways, so yeah, it wasn't it wasn't quite as good as Burning Heart or anything like that. Was it Survivor? No, Survivor though does sing the song at the end and the closing credits. Yeah, yeah. Not a time in the world or end of the world or whatever that song was called. I think I wrote yeah, that.
2: end of the world or something like that. <laughs> it's, oh,
0: it's horrible. And the Survivor singer, <laughs> the Survivor, it's horrible. It's a horrible song, dude. <laughs>
3: I'll never know what brought me here As if somebody laid my hand It seems I've hardly had to steer My course was planned
4: In destiny it guides us all And by its hand we rise and fall Only
3: for a moment Time enough to catch our breath again
0: It it kind of reminds me of First Blood, the ending. It's a long road when you're on your own and it hurts so much. It's a long road.
1: Song, man, dude, Long Road is
0: not a horrible song. (laughs) What's that? Long Road is not a horrible song. Go back and listen to that song. Shall I sing it again? I mean, it's (laughs) you made it horrible. Well, even when I saw this movie as a kid, I'm like, why do we have this Frank Sinatra wannabe singing the song at the end of a First Blood? Like we had this balls out fight and him yelling and screaming at the end of this movie. And now we got this
2: So you can so you can decompress after all the action, you know.
3: Ah,
0: they should have They're just had the rocky theme. <laughs> They're leaving them out in the cuffs and the rocky music. <laughs> I meant to say ramble. Oh, too many Rocky Rambles talk. <laughs> 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 So we got the car building montage scene, which was a lot of fun. You know, there, it, was, it was a light moment. It was the lightest moment of the movie because now everything's going to go poorly for the gang. That was a great sequence. though. Again, this movie, actually, we haven't really talked about it, but this movie does a lot of great dramatic moments that I think play off well and haven't aged that poorly over mm-hmm. 30 years. Well,
1: and, yeah, and they also show, like, the kind of person that Frank is. He's a natural leader, but at the same time, he takes first base under his wing. Yep. Yeah. And even though this guy's basically got, what, like three life sentences or something, he's trying to connect with the guy and show him that there's still, you know, a reason to sort of be a good guy. And the the scene where he's pushing him around and says they're in Atlantic City and helps him feel what that's like.
4: All right. They turn left in for 40 seconds. Okay, I got
1: it. This is jumping.
4: Look at the got, action here. Check out those fine-looking ladies. Yo, honey, wanna come for a ride in my new car? Hey, baby! Hey, Frank, they ain't responding. Don't worry about it. Don't your take. When was the last time you were in Atlanta City? Oh, man, I ain't never been there. No? No. Yeah. Well, you're there now. What do you think? I don't know. Do I like it? What does it resemble? It's the best. Look around. Look at the lights. The boardwalk is jumping day and night. It's hot music. You got these high rollers. You got parties. Yeah. You got money. Yeah. You got gamblers. Woo. You got ten thousand cars, girls. Oh. Hey, baby, want to come for a ride in my new vehicle? Woo. Uh, oh man. Yo, that was great. Oh, this Italian engine just blew a ride. You ready for Indianapolis, kid? You got the touch.
1: Um, you just get a really good sense of Frank Leone as a character.
0: You mentioned First space We haven't talked about him. Two things. One, it's a horrible name to have in prison. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when you're a good looking kid like this guy. Can you imagine? My name's First Space. Oh, we'll change that quickly. <laughs> I'll make you a home run. <laughs> we'll call you a grand slam before the night's <laughs> over. Oh, anyways, that was my little joke there. Two, it was played it was played by uh, Larry Romano. Did you guys ever watch King of Queens? Love okay. King of Queens. So yeah, so Larry Romano was on the first two or three seasons of King of Queens playing one of Doug's friends. Uh he was written off the show. I don't know why. <laughs> Yeah, I don't either. He was okay. He was okay. It wasn't like that funny, but he was kind of like an early Joey Tribbiani type character. So before Friends, you had the Larry Romano uh, yeah, was like, like, type of uh, – well, no. King, King of Queens King of was God. after Friends though. It was before Friends. King of Queens? No. The first few seasons were. No. They must have been. Get out of town. Maybe in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> we're still waiting for X-Files to show here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That was that kind of type of lovable, dopey character. Um, and Joey Tribbiani did Joey Tribbiani on Married with Children. Remember he dated Kelly Bundy?
1: Oh, really? Oh,
0: yeah, I
2: do remember that. And he oh. pretty
0: much
1: played the yeah. same
2: character. Yeah.
0: Greasy Italian. Kelly Bundy for a second. Oh, <laughs> man. I knew at the age of 12 watching Married with Children that I was definitely straight. That's all I'm saying. Like, <laughs> yeah, uh, let well, like
2: dresses do it to you
0: yeah though it's kind of weird watching now in my 40s and i'm like i don't think i can feel that way anymore <laughs> but now i'm after peggy in my mind because i'm 40. <laughs> i love the smashing up of that car sequence to this day that sequence is heartbreaking it's hard to watch and i always wondered did they get a second car or was it a prop car because they smashed the crap out of that mustang do you know anything about what that car may or, may or may not been or mm. Usually in scenes like that,
2: don't they? They would have like the Mustang body on some other shitty chassis, just
0: to. I hope so. Wreck cause it. I love Mustangs, and that was a beautiful car. And mm-hmm. when they hit that the air filter part, and it was spraying the radiator fluid everywhere, Eclipse started crying. In the mm-hmm. uh, yeah. music,
1: mm-hmm. and then yeah, got that great belt buckle out of it though, man. Hey,
3: Leonie, I love my belt buckle, boy. Yeah, I know. I like a little souvenir that reminds me of you. Tell me. What are you going to do about it? You mean six weeks in the hole? killed your guts and your appetite? It ain't over, you son of a bitch.
0: You got my belt, boy? Yeah, I love how he got the belt. Who put his belt together for him, though? Well, he's got all the resources
1: of the prison at his disposal, right? True. <laughs> yeah, he used
2: that shank to poke a hole in his belt.
0: Yeah. There you go. And then we had Meisner there. Even he was looking at this uh, scene of he wasn't too happy. We started to see his heart soften a little bit for the plight of Frank and the gang. And then Frank goes into the hole for six weeks.
2: Oh, uh, yeah. He suffers some brutality in there. Every
0: hour when the light comes on, you'll stand, face the camera, and state your name and number. Name
4: and number. The Oni 510. Face the camera. Name and number. The Oni 510
0: yeah woken up every hour on the hour Frank leone five one zero did you catch what he said at the very end excuse me what he, what he said at the very end to get beaten up there who Frank yeah like he was so tired that he said something else uh, I'm not sure maybe he goes he said Marilyn monroe thirty five or thirty seven I don't know he said Marilyn Monroe, 35 36 I don't know and then the guards come in cuz he gave us the wrong name and number this was probably after who knows you know 10 12 oh. two weeks of being yeah. sleep deprived he actually says as they were beating him up that he, he was only joking mm. oh really so he yeah he did it as a joke oh, but he was man. he was so drunk tired but he was just fooling around but he actually mentions he like as he's getting beaten to crap he was just joking
2: my one takeaway for the whole scene You know, the warden sees him working out in his cell, so he cuts his portions in half, so he won't even have the energy to do that. Give
3: Mr. Leone half-ration for the rest of his time. Yes, sir.
0: Good catch. Incredible. (coughs) Asking for water, which, as we know, it shows the sadistic behavior of drum ghoul. You know, he's not even given water, which is a basic human right for any prisoner, of course. Yeah, we, we haven't talked much about, like, his
2: influence.
0: Would he have had the authority to, to get that transfer? Like, how would he have made that happen? First talk about why was Frank in jail to begin with.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the guy that taught him how to work on cars got beat so up by he, some
0: punks. Frank was a street kid. He was on the streets. We don't know when he entered the streets. But at 14, he was a street kid, and this guy, I forget his name, the one we've seen the pictures, this older gentleman, took him under his wing, said, hey, why don't you come work at my garage, and he became a father figure to Frank. You sure
4: know your way around an engine. Who taught you? This old man. The Delaney, Took me off the street when I was 14 years old. He told me I could do something besides hanging out on corners all the time.
3: Is that who you broke out for?
4: Yeah, I owed him.
3: Tell
4: me, what put you in the uh, joint in the first place? Well, one night these punks broke into the garage and put a beating on old man Galetti. And the whole neighborhood knew about it. Cops knew about it. But I guess these punks were connected, so uh, the cops didn't do anything. And I did. So after all the smoke had cleared, these guys ended up in the hospital. And I ended up doing 18 months in Treadmore for aggravated
0: assault. And sometime later some street thugs beat the crap out of this older gentleman and the cops didn't do anything about it. So Frank took justice into his own hands Mm -hmm. and beat the crap out of the guys that beat the crap out of the old man. And he got arrested for it. So he went to jail and then the old man that took care of him passed away while he was in jail. He asked the warden at the time, which was Drumgold, hey, can I go see this, can I have some furlough, like we talked about, to go see this gentleman, my, the guy that raised me from teenage on, can I go pay my respects to him while they bury him? Drumgold says, no, you're a criminal, you broke the law. You don't
4: remember, do you? I asked you. Now, I, I begged you, Drumgold, do you remember that? I had two weeks to go before I was released, and all I asked for is one hour. One hour to visit with that old man before he died. Do you remember that? I was doing my job. There's a lot of ways to do your job. I mean, you could have given me an escorted could have had armed guards. You should have done that for me. You broke the law.
3: You broke the law, and I was punished. And I got five goddamn years, and I paid my debt. To the state, not to me,
0: but you're going to. Uh, You will not be going out. And then he escapes prison in the meantime to go see the funeral, but gets caught. The... uh, justice system took mercy on Frank and not the warden and Drumgoole was embarrassed by this by his cohorts or whatever that this criminal who not only escaped prison under Drumgoole's watch but at the same time he didn't get in trouble for it. Only five years since you escaped from Treadmore Frank. Flies are you to have fun.
3: In all the years that I was warden there you're the only man that ever made it over my wall.
4: Well, so I read in the papers. Yes of course you did.
3: You and your lawyer saw to it that everything made it into the papers, didn't you? The media. Yeah. Distorting the truth. Distorting the facts. Making a criminal into a hero. And a warden into a criminal. You took my future away from me. You and those bleeding-heart politicians. They sent you to Norwood. That's a country club. I ended up
0: here in Gateway. The worst shithole in the system.
2: They made him a hero and they made Drumgoole look like the bad guy.
0: That's right. Uh, so, Drungle got sent to this crappy prison in New Jersey as uh, I say as punishment, but as a transfer. It's a crappier prison. Well, Frank is to spend whatever, left he, whatever time he has left in jail. And then uh, Drungul's like, oh, I got to get payback for this guy. And the idea for Drungle was I'm going to break him. I'm going to make him break the law while he's in jail. That way he'll stay here longer and I'll make his life a living hell and he'll give him the guy a tour and all that stuff happens. All I know is I've only got six months left on my sentence gateway six months could be a lifetime anything could
3: happen this is a hard time frank you have no rights here unless i give them to you you feel no pleasure unless i tell you you can this is hell i'm going to give you the guided tour
0: how's that for a recap of why this is all happening don't even have to watch the movie yeah exactly well, I think it's important for any of our listeners who have probably seen the movie, because even I kind of forgot, why is Frank in jail? And they, they, they did explain it, of course. It does, it's not really over-explained. It's done in a quick conversation that he has with Eclipse, and that's it. And also, at the beginning of the movie,
2: we find out he only has six months left in his sentence. So when Jerome has him transferred to this max security prison, this hell, he promises Frank that he's going to make that six months hell for him.
0: He's getting the crap kicked out of him for, saying Marilyn Monroe. Miser comes in and tells them to stop beating them up.
4: That's enough.
0: Who ordered this? Manly, that big white guy with the bad hair and he's kind of tubby, right? Uh-huh. Uh Manly says something snarky to Meisner. and my favorite moment in the film was for Miser when he says, "Let me quote here." I just got it written down just to make sure I got it here. So Meisner, Captain Miser, says this to Manly. He says.
3: Pussy, you you get the hell out of my sight before I shine my boots with your face, you fat piece of shit.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love that moment. Now, we don't hear that anymore. Do we hear the POS statement in films anymore?
2: No, that's that's a heavy hitter, too.
0: Yeah, I bet you that. I, I know Stallone didn't get a writing credit on it, but I bet you that line was written by Stallone. Well, the guy that played Manly, what he's kind of typecast in these roles. I've seen him in other stuff where he plays that creepy, dirtbag type of character. I love that.
3: You fat piece of shit.
0: Like, you don't hear. <laughs> you don't hear. Like, when is the last time that has been said in a film? I say <laughs> it a lot. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Not necessarily fat part, but I call people a POS quite regularly.
1: It's usually behind their back.
0: It's actually a brutal... Insult, it's, like you just it, don't hear it anymore. It's a it's like point. one step below scumbag. Mm-hmm. I think it might be above scumbag myself. But yeah, do you know the
1: origins of the word scumbag? No. Off air, research it.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to do it off air. I go. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. It's got something to do with the scrotum, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, you're a smart man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm going to call someone a scumbag for now on because it's like, <laughs> I had no idea. I love it.
2: He's like the typical kind of hides behind his badge. He's only got balls because he's protected by other guards and by his, his badge. You right. know, it's that if any prisoners step to him, then going to have 100 guards on his back. That's why he gets off being an asshole. But he's a real, probably a, a wussy in real life.
0: Sounds cliche, but he's your typical bully. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he's got the back end of the ward, and the, he's got carte blanche when it comes to Frank. So then we have the sequence here after the car's been broken up, and Frank has been in the hole for six weeks. He comes back to the gang and looking at the car damage. And the comment is made, like, you know, our leader's back type thing. And Stone so gets a pretty good speech here, which is kind of reminiscent of the end of First Blood, speaking of First Blood, that t- same type of like when he gets a little crying about the body parts everywhere. and he, But he's yelling at these guys. <laughs> I love it when how Sly says, It's his.
4: What? You think this is your car? This ain't your car. There's a war in this car. What do you think? Did you think that Chick Weber did this? Jungle did this. Come on. What's, what? You think when we got this car together that we were going to take our dates out in it? Is that what you thought? Maybe rotate it on weekends. Hey, Ernie. Why don't you take it Friday in Dallas? Why don't you take a Saturday? And Eclipse, you got a Sunday. Is that what you thought? Huh? It's his. This lift is his. It's tools are his. The garage is his. This whole goddamn place is his. And you better remember that too. Because once you start buying into this our car, our thing concept, man, you're his too. It's his. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think I, if I recall correctly, and Jeff Hewlett, I think, pointed it out. On our Slycast episode, though, like, his voice, like, his voice even cracks. He really vocally got the essence of that line and the delivery.
0: Kind of funny. I mean, I, I love Sly, but when he starts to yell and stuff, it does slur a little bit. We know that comes from his uh, speech impediment comes from, you know, when he was taken out of his mother's womb with tr- uh, forceps yeah. that, that wrecked the nerve is in his face. But um, Do we even know if that's true? <laughs> I don't know anything anymore. <laughs> Except like Jimmy Gambina. Yeah, between Jimmy Gavina and Mike Kuna, <laughs> telling us the, the origin story of Rocky is not true. I don't know what to believe anymore. But <laughs> uh, uh, the speech though was really good because he's talking about prison, how nothing here is ours. You know, just do your time. Enjoy the moments that you have. But the idea, we're not a gang. This isn't like some TV show. You know, we're prisoners. This whole, the warden owns us. And I I love how even the character Frank here. He, did, he takes the fantasy away. And at like, the end of the day, the warden owns so us. You, you don't have to like it, but that's prison. Mm-hmm. Then we get to uh, the first base death. The death of mm-hmm. first base. And even to this day, that death is brutal. It's a brutal death sequence. Yeah, I,
2: yeah. I actually thought they were going to be more graphic with it. And I'm glad they showed some restraint. I thought they okay. were going to show him like, like, uh, with the barbell right across his neck or something. At least they only smash it on his chest.
0: They smashed yeah. it on his chest. But to the... Uh, but, even to this day, and I knew it was coming like when they dropped that weight on his chest, it's filled really well because you know, of course, sound effects and stuff you know, you add the crunching sound, it's not, but you know, they drop whatever it is, they probably it's probably a styrofoam bar that hits his chest. But when that bar drops on the actor's chest and you hear the crunching sound, you're just like, oh, you just can not imagine the kind of pain <laughs> that that would have been.
1: It was roughly 300 pounds Ooh. that they dropped on him, yeah. And again, this is one of those things where Chink. At that point, realizes the only way that he's gonna break Frank or make Frank act out of turn is to kill somebody. It's a real drastic measure.
0: So, Doug, you haven't seen this in a while, so I'm gonna ask you first off before we get leave the death scene. Did you catch who was holding first base right leg? His right leg. No, I did not. Danny Trejo. Yep. Oh, was it? Yeah.
2: I saw that he had a cameo. I don't even know if it was a cameo at this point. He was um,
0: probably still in prison during the film. This movie. Yeah, maybe.
2: <laughs> I saw that he was in this, but I didn't see where. Damn.
0: Yeah, that's where. He was uh, holding uh, holding first base's right leg there. That was his little moment screen. But uh, Danny Trejo was, is an ex-convict, but obviously a great guy. And he's made he's made amends to society. Now he's having a good life acting the movie.
1: And actually has a pretty cool daco joint in California. Hmm. Oh, cool. Yeah,
0: very cool. So, Doug, I'm going to ask you as a first time viewer in a way, did you remember what was going to happen after that sequence, how Frank was going to react and the result of it?
2: I remember the fight between vaguely remember the fight between him and Chink.
0: I remember him going after him in the prison yard. Yeah, that was a great moment because even as a viewer, we're kind of tired of Frankie getting pushed around. Like we're getting tired of this, and so there's this weird release that we even have, have as a viewer, even though it's gonna get him in trouble. We're like, yes, finally, just beat the crap out of this guy. And so when he grabs that weight and puts in the towel, and he goes over and he clocks that one prisoner right in the face, like the one of the one of Chink's men, just mm-hmm. boom! I love that moment. And then their, their fight in the in the yard is brutal. They're rolling around the mud, throwing punches at each other, and he, and he keeps saying, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to kill you, yeah. to uh, Chink. And, he, and he's pulverizing. What I love is he doesn't hold back in the punches on the ground, and he's breaking his face open. And then he, like a rag doll, throws him on the bench, and he's going to kill, at that moment, we think he's going to kill Chink the same way that first base just got killed. I'm like, yeah, justice, man. Mm-hmm. Slide did a really good job, facially, as he always does with that face acting that he does holding that weight, deciding is he going to drop us or not. I don't know. I, I like that whole moment.
2: And uh, when they killed first base, there was three guys. There was one on each side of the bar, and then Chink was holding the bar over his spotter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had yeah, it was a terrible spotter. But Frank grabbed the barbell all by himself. So I guess yeah. we're supposed to be in awe at us uh, Sylvester <laughs> Stallone's strength in that.
0: Well, are we always in awe?
1: Well, yes. Yes, yeah. that is a fact.
0: A lot of I'm ways. sure you get some good
1: drum ghoul. Um, nose hair in that scene, Ryan, when he's watching.
0: We get the nose hair sequence when he's uh, strapped to the electric chair, the oh, okay. light in his face. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Jungle um, wants him to kill Chink. Yeah, They're saying, "Do it, do it." Of course, because now it's like he's yeah, he's like yeah, kill Chink for me, and uh, you'll be here forever. You know, yeah. murder. Yeah. The villains in this movie are so there's a lot of depth there because you have to
1: wonder at what point did all it take was for Frank escaping to bring that out of drum ghoul or was it just years of being exposed to the worst of humanity? Was he ever a good man or not? And I mean, like he became a warden. So obviously there had to be
0: something there. So, I mean, the villains in this movie are just, they're effing great. Agreed. agree. All these characters, are flushed out pretty nicely. And yeah, we don't know the whole history of Drum Gould, why he is the way he is, but something, you know what? I personally work with people that are nice people. I work with people that aren't that nice. And some of us are prisoners. Some of us are prison guards. Some of us are wardens and just the personalities exist in all of us. And I do think that they crank
2: up the evil on these old movies because I don't really truly exist.
4: (laughs)
0: well yeah, yeah well I mean, it's a movie it's played up you got an hour and yeah. a half to tell a story here you do we don't have a 10 episode arc to get behind their motives or why are they the way they
2: are reviewing the Analyzing a movie minute by minute has ruined movies for me for good <laughs> cuz every movie I, I look at with a like a very analytical eye.
0: I hear you. Speaking of which, I, I I wonder what movie I would love to do minute by minute. I have a couple in my mind that I would love to do just like we, you guys talked about that in one of your last episodes where like mm-hmm. people have some ideas they don't want to share cuz they want to keep it. Now we get to the ending act here where Frank is he's been shanked. He's in now in recovery. And his wife is allowed to have a visit, a half-hour visit with Frank after his recovery. And we're led to believe they're going to have a conjugal visit. Yeah, they put the little barrier. Mm -hmm. Can you guys pull it off with your significant other in the hospital bed with a curtain separating you and the guards? How (laughs) long has it been? (laughs) Well, I won't need 30 minutes. But
2: the the way that they have it set up, you know they're going to f*** with him. So
1: You almost have to assume that Frank was heavily medicated to not realize that they were going to fuck with him. Mm -hmm. You can understand the wife or the girlfriend being kind of taken aback by it, but...
0: Yeah, I just find it surprising. I I'm not approved by any stretch of the imagination, but I would have been like, I honey, I can't. They're literally behind the curtain. I can't even peek when someone's standing next to me, let, let them perform with a sh- bedsheet between me and the audience. So,
1: I don't remember where I saw this, but isn't there a movie where they have like the conjugal visit in like a separate
0: little apartment? Yeah. Yeah. On the yeah I've seen that too. I've seen that too in shows or movies. I've seen that yeah, it's like a little like a trailer. Like mm-hmm. a screwing trailer. <laughs> like Arrested development. They have like a little
1: yeah, okay. yeah, that's Maybe probably where right. I saw it. Yeah,
0: <laughs> that's exactly right. That's what I'm thinking of. That's hilarious. So of course, they pull back the curtain. You know, they say, "Okay, visit's over," and blah blah blah. This is where the
1: movie gets really dark, man. There's been some dark stuff in this movie. Yes, but man, it gets dark. So what do you, Craig? What do you talk about the scene there that I think you're referring to? Oof. Well, they basically break up the uh, the coitus. Yep, it's it's true coitus interruptus. <laughs> I, I don't even remember what the bridge scene is, but we have Frank is in a cell and another uh, inmate is on the yeah. other side and he's getting ready to, to be released. Yeah. And he talks about how the what he, he straight up says the warden's given him an assignment. I don't think it was the warden. He said he, he got a job. Okay, yeah.
0: He's going yeah, he's going back to crime even after he leaves, he's got some job.
1: Yeah, yeah and then he reveals that he's gonna Go pay Frank's girlfriend a visit and rape her. Leon. Come
4: here. I know you. No. You don't know me, Frank, but I know you. I was at Treadmo with you. A-Black. Treadmo don't have an A-black.
0: That's right. We got something else in
4: common. Yeah, what's that? We're both getting out soon. You in a few weeks, me, I'm gone day after tomorrow. What happened to you? One beating, too many. there's some hard time in this place. We both have, am I right? Yeah. You're right about that. Hey, you need anything when I get out? You can't get you anything. No, I'm all right, thanks. I'm just lucky, I guess. I got a job lined up when I get out. It's just temporary, you know, but it pays about a grand for two hours' work. That's not bad, is it? What do you got to do? I just got to rape this bitch. I get an extra hundred every time she screams. I'll kill you, man! I'll kill you! Payback time,
0: Frank. Right? She says hello.
4: You touch your you're dead! Hey, man, i
0: God, somebody! Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a it's a great sequence because he goes over the, the picture. Day. Oh, that's a great reveal. And the guy steps out of the wheelchair because we're yeah. and that guy's creepy, man. He is perfectly
1: cast.
2: He reminded me of the what's his name from Cobra, the villain a little bit. He had. like Oh, the, yeah.
0: Like he looked evil. <laughs> that guy looked evil Yeah, that look. My question is, this guy had a ponytail, right? Mm-hmm. So we find out later that he's a he's a fellow prison guard. Are they allowed to have ponytails, these guards? Did he have a Just, ponytail? Yeah.
2: I didn't see that. I, I don't know. The prison personnel is more, they're more
1: liberal with their grooming policy. Are they? It kind of seems like all bets might be off in that prison, too. It's, <laughs> yeah. yeah, especially there.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, now we have uh, uh, Frank thinking, I got to get out of this prison. So now here's the escape number two under Drum Ghoul that's going to happen. Did anyone think that Dallas was going to betray? Did anyone really? see that coming?
1: It was good and it was bad because they don't telegraph it at all. And a lot of times some viewers get annoyed by not being able to figure something out.
0: Now, Doug, did you remember that the betrayal was coming?
1: No, that was new to me. Yeah, yesterday it surprised me. We've all seen The Sixth Sense, right? Right. So when they do the big reveal at the end of The Sixth Sense, you think back on the movie and you say, "Okay, here's all the clues that I missed.
0: Mm-hmm. But he wasn't in on it. That's why he wasn't in on this betrayal until like probably the day before. He was always on his. So it was a true like uh, Judas kiss because it was the night of he got the 40 silver. He was just made this deal. But because the warden just lost his biggest guy, his yard. No, so
1: so what happened? So Frank determines he needs to break out. He's going to ask Tom Sizemore for help. At that point, does Tom Sizemore go to the warden and offer that information
0: up? No, I think he was approached. He was approached because he says the warden offered me uh, leniency on my sentence. So when would the warden have offered that though? The the rape threat to his girlfriend was planned by the warden, unauthorized by the warden, and the warden knew. Look, he's going to want to break escape. out. He's going to want to escape like he's done before. I will get somebody I can buy off from his gang that he will trust, and that's probably how he saw it. Like, hey, Frank's going to come to you asking you for help to break out. When he does, lead him to this area, and I'll get time off your sentence. Because there's that – remember the sequence where he says to Frank there when he's been caught? And Tom Seismer does a great job here where he says that 30 years. I'm sorry, man. You were my ticket out of here. I'm sorry.
4: Damn you! You had me set up the whole time? Not the whole time.
1: Got thirty years to go, man. Thirty uh, years. Uh, warden made me a deal. Uh,
4: dumb, dumb
3: bastard. He made me a deal, man, a deal. We don't make deals with
4: escaping prisoners.
0: I love how he says that thirty years sequence, but you could see the pain on his face, where both the pain that he betrayed his friend, but also like he's got thirty years in this joint. What would you do? And even Frank's kind of like, oh, no, this is prison life.
2: At first, he wasn't as apologetic as I think he should have been. Okay. Because he was like, you know, you told me from day one, don't trust anyone. DTA.
0: DTA, Frank. Is that what you thought me, man? DTA.
2: You know, instead of being like, I'm sorry I had to do this to you. But I got 30 Yeah,
0: years. I guess. Yeah, he could have been scared. He at that moment he still had the power of the warden behind him, yeah. hiding behind his deal with the warden. Like you know, dude, you said, "Don't trust anybody." You know, what, what else you want me to do? I've got thirty years left here. But then the turnaround where he gets betrayed by the warden. Oh man! Like, and then you feel sorry for the guy again. You know? And, yeah. Yep. It I didn't feel sorry for him.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, man. I, I'm sorry. He did him so dirty but i did love drum ghoul there where he's like how can i explain this (laughs) there's no way you can get any kind of deal here like
0: (laughs) yeah shortly thereafter uh dallas played by tom sizemore he electrocutes himself to kill the prisoner guard sir the prison guard yeah that's the only way you can do that because we know that frank in the movie can't kill anybody or else he's he's not getting out of jail We, we as an audience get the satisfaction of that manly guy finally getting his comeuppance with a proper death Yeah, this is another one of those movies that a lot of movies
1: sort of suffers from. It's like the race to the end. It almost feels like they compressed the last 25 minutes of this movie into 10 minutes because they built so much time up front. Right. Creating, you know, introducing the characters and creating the world and sort of doing all of the storytelling that we needed to be done but you also didn't want to make this over two hours
0: i actually thought that too i hadn't seen this movie like i said in 10 maybe 15 years and i as i was watching it even though it had that hour and 45 minute runtime i was like holy they're getting to sequences quicker than i remember they, they mm-hmm. got to plot points faster than i thought they were going to get there so yeah, it did, almost the whole movie seemed not rushed but so I guess you're not bored because he hit a lot of points very quickly. There's not really any lull moments. So for There better, aren't people, any
2: death and break moments in this movie. <clears throat> and I didn't think they spent too much time on one scene. You know, right. I think everything flowed nicely. I thought. Yeah.
0: No, you're right. Yeah, it's, but at the end it gets a little bit, you know, action packed but you know, he's climbing pipes and climbing the wall and you jumping. know, he's jumping, and, you know, the spotlight just misses him. So it gets a little bit a little mm-hmm. bit actiony at the end there. And did anyone catch when he enters the room, the drum goes in? Did anyone catch the uh, nod to First Blood? Hmm. What was the sheriff's name again? I keep forgetting. Teasel. Teasel. So remember when he caught Teasel in the forest and he puts a knife to his throat? Mm hmm. Oh. And, you know, I'll give you a nightmare that he'll never forget. And then he does the same thing. He puts a knife to uh, the warden's throat here as well and basically says, you know, you're the one that drew First Blood on me, buddy. Like, I didn't want this fight. And now here we are. I thought it was very similar nod there with mm-hmm. knife to throw with the guy who's an authority that should be a good guy that's not a good guy causing an issue here you won't get away with
3: it you know that don't you i could have got up but i'm not gonna spend my life running
2: from you i think that's an intentional nod
0: Maybe not, but it's, this is the first thing that came to my mind. Like, I don't know why I never noticed that before, even as a young viewer, that right away I saw the knife to the throat with the authority figure that's, that's pushing, that's pushing this character to do things it doesn't want to do. So I, I caught it. Maybe nobody else did, but maybe it wasn't intentional. I don't know. So we got the uh, electric chair scene, and we knew this was going to come into play. When this was introduced at the beginning of the film. You know, This chair is going to somehow come into play. And again, this was done really well because – we don't know what's gonna happen. We, you know, we feel like we start this con- uh, confession from the warden and, and I remember even watching it We're like, even if he says something, how does that matter? But, you know, we have the witnesses lined up as they, as they said, mm-hmm. Drumco admits that yes, I was, you know, this is all set up.
4: I'm glad you're here, Meisner.
3: This wouldn't be official without witnesses. He's trying to get me to take responsibility for his escape attempt, just like before. I don't want to confess. You set me up. You set everything up. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm talking about Chick Weber, The coons.
4: The cop that was going to rape Melissa. Dallas. The killing of the kid. Guilty. All counts.
3: Prove it. Prove it, Frank. That's your problem. You can't prove anything. I don't have to prove nothing. I came here for an execution. I, de- I demand to be released from here. No. No. Don't do it, Leone. Don't do it. Take it easy. Payback. Frank! It's true. I confess. I confess, Mr. Meisner.
0: Everything that he said was true. I set him up. Everything. But I love how Frank has his hand wrapped around the lever. Yeah. Even if the cops chase him or shoot him, he just falls down. Mm -hmm. The lever's going to go off and kill the warden. So that's actually a great... And it seems silly, but it's just the idea of to remember to write this, you know, in a movie, like, hey, even if the cops come and shoot me, I'm going to fall down with this lever in my hands. So the cops can't approach him or shoot him. It's a good little uh, standoff.
2: Yeah, yeah. When they first met in the electric chair room, Drumgoole says, you know, the warden would come down. Stop it. A- <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> he says the warden would come down a path right from his office through that door. Right. So that was obviously the door that, Frank brought him, right. So they wouldn't be found uh, if he trucks them through the prison. You know, obviously people are going to see him, but if he takes him in that secret passage, he can strap him to the electric chair and nobody will know. Right. D- again,
0: I'm going to ask you. This is kind of like your first time here. Do you remember what happened? Do you remember what was going to happen? Was no, ever- I didn't remember any of this.
2: Okay. Cra- crazy the stuff that I remembered from it from seeing it all those years ago. I don't. But this was another one. I was like on the edge of my seat. Is he going to do it? Is he going to electrocute him?
0: That's great. <laughs> yeah. It, it drew you in. Like, you weren't, uh, you didn't think it was silly? No, I loved it. I loved this scene. What about you, Craig? How, how do you like this final sequence?
1: Oh, it's great. I mean, the only thing that you're left wondering is what kind of defense Drum Ghoul created in court. Right.
0: Was his I confession
1: coerced? I almost wonder, like, what Drum Ghoul's ultimate punishment was. Was he fired? Did he end up doing
0: jail time? Well, I think with Captain Meisner's. He's probably a pretty stalwart prison captain. And I would suspect that there's enough witnesses of all this, you know, because even these prisoners as witness, they would have the prisoners lined up saying this guy was a, yeah, we're prisoners, but this guy was breaking the law on us as prisoners all the time. So where's the law and order episode with <laughs> Right.
4: <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> dun, dun. But the whole sequence, the, you know, the performance, the the way it's filmed and edited, the music, it's just a great sequence that leads to, Ultimately, that reveal that he's got the main component for that to make that electric chair work.
0: And then we uh, segue to the final moment where Frank Leone's out of jail and the whole prison guard's there to cheer him on. You know, hey, welcome, or bye bye, good luck, good luck. (laughs) And I I thought it was interesting because we know it's the character that's beaten cheered on as he leaves jail but i think there's two things that makes it kind of so realistic because they all know this is the guy this is the prisoner that got rid of the warden Mm -hmm. Mm. the warden was was a jerk to the whole prison it wasn't just frank he was not a good warden to be around they were cheering kind of a hero of the prison i would say and also though it was kind of life and art at the same time because it was also the actors who got to be on this film probably it was like the last day of shooting they were kind of cheering stallone yeah yeah because yeah. if you watch the faces of these uh, extras, they're all extras. You can tell. But you tell that these are real prisoners. And they're they're kind of cheering being on the film and cheering Stallone as he leaves the prison. This was probably the last day of shooting.
2: Yeah, it had that feel. It definitely had like a, a send-off kind of feel. Yeah. I, know, I know it's supposed to feel that way for the movie. But I didn't believe it, man. That Yeah, that's all the real prisoners gathered around.
0: And that great moment there where Frank goes, you know what I'm going to miss about you the most there, Captain Miser.
4: You know what I'm going to miss most about you, Captain? What's that? Your incredible smile.
0: Take care of yourself. Thanks, nice, Captain. <laughs> and even Meisner smiles. It's classic 80s, late 80s trope, but it, it was good. The I smiles. Did you catch what Meisner said at the end there, what the last two words of the of the movie are? Mm. Lock up! Lock him! Mmm. Okay. Yeah. I never caught up to this feeling, but when Miser yells, he yells, lock up.
2: Craig's trying to talk, but he's
1: on mute. (laughs) (laughs) I said, uh, Doug, we got to remember these questions that Ryan asks every episode. I got to (laughs) start taking a notepad and pencil. I know. (laughs) He tries stumping us. I don't think it's fair.
0: (laughs) No, I'm not trying to stump you. I'm actually just, uh, I thought you guys were going to catch that too. It's like, I'm going to write this down. I even wrote in big letters here. See? Right here. Lock up. <laughs> oh, okay. Exclamation mark, exclamation mark. I usually do notice when they say like, the,
2: they movie. Say the name of the movie yeah. in the movie because it's like, oh, they did that thing because it's a thing.
0: Yeah, wasn't there a game? Did you guys talk about it where you watch a movie and you mm-hmm. stop watching the movie when they say the name of the movie? So. Well, yeah. this movie, you could do the whole way through. Yeah, <laughs> yeah or
1: you just said an over under.
0: Yeah. Right. So did you catch the, the ending here, the credits? We had a film montage again of the film that we just saw. A picture montage. Yeah, yeah. Is that a what? Stallone thing? Is that him? Rocky three. Which Rocky was that? in? All of them. What do you mean? <laughs> which, which one? one? Rocky five does it. Rocky four does it. Maybe. No. Maybe it's
1: Rocky. F- oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it. instant nostalgia.
0: So Rocky four does it for sure because Ruben and I just finished covering Rocky four on our show, and we and That's they right. did the, they did the black and white photo montage right at the end of the film there. Yeah. And then Rocky five does the whole series montage because at that time we thought this was the final was film. Cool. Mm-hmm. over The Measure of Man by Elton John. And then uh, this one, we've got the Survivor. And the singer of this Survivor, by the way, is different than the Eye of the Tiger Survivor. Song. Yes.
1: Yeah. And I believe that singer died within the last
0: year or two as well. Yeah. He's a terrible Survivor.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. Let me... Uh, <laughs> yeah. He's crying Damn, out. whole-blooded.
0: So <laughs> I was waiting for someone to bring that up. I was like, done that joke. <laughs>
1: Uh, oh, by the way,
0: uh, Ryan, uh, oh, <laughs> sure.
1: Friends debuted in 1994. Okay. King of Queens debuted in 1998.
0: Well, poo on you. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. I can't believe 1994. Hey, eh? wow. All right. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, King of Queens is actually still funnier than Friends. I'm sorry. And I'm like, actually, Friends. I Jimmy
1: Jameson from
0: Survivor died in
1: 2014.
0: So they're both dead. Which no. is the "I Tiger" singer? Oh no, no, the second singer passed. The away.
1: singer yeah. from from this movie.
0: Yeah, he was on three or four albums with Survivor. Yeah.
2: You change so. a singer, it really changes the whole shape sure. of the band. So
1: Jim Jamison, his name. Jimmy Jimmy Jamison, yeah, Jimmy,
0: yeah. So he did the Bernie Heart song. You could tell it's a different singer. He did Bernie Heart, but the other singer did "I the Tiger." Mm. So same band, different singer. It's kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah. Rotten Tomato, of course, gave the seventeen percent, which is stupid. Mm-hmm. But CinemaScore is the industry leader in measuring movie appeal among theater audiences, and since 78, CinemaScore has been polling moviegoers at major movie releases on opening night to collect demographic information and calculate a distinctive CinemaScore grade. So audiences rated this movie guess out of a letter grade guess opening night. B minus.
2: I say D. B plus. The audiences? Yes. So it was only the critics
0: that hated this. That's right. And that's what I don't understand. It's like, it's a good Stallone film. So people that went to this movie opening at night, like people like me at the age of 14, 15, 20, whatever they were, they had the cinema score. People say, Hey, well, what'd you think of the movie? I can only imagine. They would have come and say, Hey, that was a lot of fun. That was a mm-hmm. good movie. It's not silly in any way, but some critics were saying uh, that the movie was like laughable. Where? him my mumble shoot. Yes. Assassins. Yes. There was, was nothing weird. laughable about "Stop from My Mom Will Shoot." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. Totally weird. But you get what I'm saying, though. I don't know why Sly is so ragged on. It's weird. One of the great mysteries. I, I just yeah. think
2: people love to hate Stallone, and I I I, know, I don't understand why. It is kind of weird. Did you read anything, Ryan, about their not having a finished script for this? Oh, go ahead and talk about that. They had the star, the director, and the theme, but no script.
1: Wasn't Stallone up against a window or something? Didn't he have to go film another movie? So they only had him for a certain amount of time? Well, I know Tango and Cash came out the same year. Yeah,
0: which also Uh, got a Razzie
1: for worst picture. I mean, that would be the only reason you'd start filming a movie without a finished script is if you had a, a window you had to work within.
0: Well, I want to
2: read a little interview from the director, John Flynn. Uh, So, John Flynn, the director, was going around scouting prisons. We finally had one in Raleigh, New Jersey. Jeb and Henry – Jeb was the writer? Mm -hmm. Henry, were they co-writers? Yeah. Yeah,
1: there was three writers on the film.
2: Jeb and Henry were writing the script as we were making the movie. New pages would come in every day. There was one day when I was on the third tier of a cell block in Raleigh Penitentiary and I had nothing to shoot. I had my movie star, all these extras in a great location, and the pages were on their way. So, we sat around and bullshitted with the prisoners. That's crazy. (laughs) While they were waiting for the script to get there.
0: So I give credit here where credit's due. It's usually a bad sign when this is the movie-making process. Mm -hmm. Because you hear about this all the time. This this is not uncommon in the movie world where they're literally getting screenplay scripts like the day of shooting. The fact that they pulled out a non-clunky, well-directed movie. is We should give credit to John Flynn who directed and orchestrated this film to make it fluid I think it was edited well. The scenes were well-filmed and well-lit. I really love this film. I can't remember. I did this podcast with a podcast that's defunct now, but it was like uh, the top six podcast. I believe I picked Lockup as my favorite film of Stallone's career that's a non-Rocky Rambo film. And if it wasn't Lockup, it was Cliffhanger. It was one of the two, but this is not the top two. It's hard to find a Stallone vehicle that kind of does what this movie does it hits all the right beats, got the right amount of action, right amount of drama. It's got a good bad guy. It's got twists. Yeah, you don't know where things are coming. It's got emotion. Like during the, the car breakup scene, I get choked up. Like, wow, that that's good direction. A car is being broken up because you recognize what's been put into this vehicle and the seat destroyed on screen. It's heartbreaking. I love this film. I, I give it an A. I give it an absolute an A. And I think B plus is more than fair. So I, I, I give it an A. It's, it's a, a movie that I could watch any time. I would have no problem watching this film and this is another one of those movies where
1: it could have been a fork in Stallone's acting road and it could have been a performance that allowed him to to pivot and for whatever reason he went in a different direction but this is another one of those movies that you'd stack up there with the Stallone acting movies Mm you can rank it up there with Copland you can rank it up there with fist you can rank it up there with Spy Kids 3d game over
0: um, right. stop it <laughs> this is one of
1: those movies you'd hand to a non stallone fan and say here this is what he can do mm-hmm.
0: yeah I, I know. and that's if they're an objective a, viewer you can't deny it that's going to be our constant griping about Sly is why don't you do more of this anyways yeah,
2: I mean, it's not his typical shoot 'em up, like he plays a cop going after a bad guy, where there's a ton of collateral damage and car chases and stuff. This is just a good, dramatic movie. This isn't an action film. No, not at all.
0: Not until he shimmies, shimmies down those pipes.
2: Yeah. The shimmy slide. A couple, side. couple of times he does some, some good hardcore flexing, but yeah. uh, you know, that's, that's it. It's not gratuitous in any way. No. So, I don't know. I, I enjoyed it. I really did like this film, and I can't believe that the critics killed it the way they did.
0: 17% fresh. Like, come on, settle down.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's a good film. I don't know. Anyways, we don't care about critics. Just us. Yeah, All right. Well, the- why don't we uh close up as we always do? Whenever I get off my butt and decide to finish editing, uh,
1: there'll be new episodes of the Slycast, including two part four plus hour pre-two discussion that includes myself, Doug, Ryan, Mike Kunda, Sean from the I Must Break This Podcast podcast. Fingers crossed it's coming out this weekend. It was just an amazing discussion with everybody. It was like, and the cool thing about our discussion, Ryan, is you already listened to my discussion with Sean on I Must Break This Podcast. So you were able to directly speak to me about things from that discussion. So it's going to make for a really good two-part listening experience. And I'm really excited to, uh, to share it because it's a super episode. There's some real podcast heavy hitters and there's some really great discussions and every discussion I loved and they're all deep meeting discussions I think me and you Ryan we what we're like oh we'll just do a quick 10 minute sort of Whatever, And then we ended up going, what, 40 minutes or something? Me and Doug went 40 minutes. I went 40 minutes with Kunda. It's going to be fun. And we also have Judge Dread that's sitting on the shelf waiting to be released after the Creed Super Special. Um, so the goal this year is to release more Slycast episodes. Get closer and closer to that straight-to-video hell. <laughs> We all can't wait to hear. Oh, I know. But yeah, you can find us at the regular places, uh, the Slycast on Facebook or on Twitter. My Twitter handle, Mr. Craig Cohen. But if you're watching this, you probably know all the places to uh, find me or to avoid me. Mm-hmm. Um, one and a half of the Rocky Minute podcast. We analyze the Rocky movies
2: one minute of movie time at a time. And uh, we're currently in the middle of Rocky 2 where uh, we've had Craig guest on, and we're about to have Ryan record with us uh, next week, I believe, right? So, uh, yeah, so look out for those episodes. The places you can find us are, you know, on your social media platforms like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. But uh, we have a Facebook listeners group. It's a uh, closed group. That's where, like, most of the discussion happens. It's called Mighty Mix on, uh, on Facebook. So come join the listeners group. We talk all things Rocky, not just about the podcast, just Rocky in general. Creed, a lot of stuff, a lot of discussions going on there. So, yeah, come join the fun.
1: Hey, Doug, are you guys going to analyze the Lipton iced tea commercial when you get to it?
2: I, I want to do I want to do his little one offs, like the his SNL appearance. I want to do his Muppet Show appearance, and
1: I, yeah, I would love to do. <laughs> So. Like analyze the Lipton iced tea commercial. No, you know what? You can analyze the Lipton iced tea commercial one second at a time. Yeah,
0: oh. <laughs> I might not listen to that one. I, ha- I have my limits. Yeah, that's so why. <laughs> that was the old
2: claymation days, man. I miss those days. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, I'm Brian. Uh, my brother and I, Ruben, we host the Rocky Series podcast. Go in the distance. Punch that into Facebook, Google. Twitter will come up we're somewhat weekly we're pretty much weekly podcast and we're on Rocky we just finished Rocky 4 in a couple weeks we'll be starting Rocky 5 that's our season 5 and I'm really looking forward to that these guys I want to say that Craig and Doug their podcasts are amazing so if you're not listening to them you got to be listening to them. Don't worry about me. Listen to them. But if you like them, you like me. If you like me, you like them. I can't imagine you will listen to any of this and not like what these guys have to offer. These guys are awesome. I listen to them. I'm a legit fan. So we really appreciate everyone listening today. Yeah, and you can do some supplemental listening after
1: uh, since they just finished Rocky Four. You can listen to the Slycast Rocky Four episode. And when you guys are done with Rocky Five, we did a whole episode on the work print of Rocky Five. Yes. I don't know if you guys are going to cover that or not.
0: Yeah. yeah it's, <laughs> Yeah, you guys covered it, and I—I I, I know I'm—I'm I'm torn. You know, I think we're going to deal with the theatrical release. I think what we might do, and this is actually something I thought about, is like having somebody like you. So there you go. I'll say this on the air. Come on and talk about that supplemental, and I'll probably have Matt come on too. I don't know it very well, so that would be something I would—I would like to address. But I'm not going to do it like for the whole season, but for an episode, say what are, what are the differences? Is it better or is it not better? And that—that that is a discussion worth having. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. And you guys have another great podcast out there, too. Oh, yeah. Let me just plug that one, man. I'm I'm in the mood of a Um,
1: (laughs) plug-in. Well, Doug did it so well, man. It's got me thinking that uh,
0: we both need to pick up our plug-in game, man. Yeah. So, yeah, I have another podcast to do with my brother, and he and I are on this one. Like, he's always on this one with me or vice versa because sometimes with the Rocky podcast, we can't correlate our times. But it's called The Worst of the Best Podcast, and it's a lot of fun. It's easy to digest. It's like 20, 25 minutes an episode. And we basically cover a variety of topics from movies, film, food, and we uh, pick what is the worst from a best. So, for example, if you're a band like, uh, let's say, like Tom Petty or R.E.M., and we uh, go through what is the best they have, and we pick what is the worst of that. So everything has a worst, even the best. That's the premise of our show. I don't know. if you guys ever listened to it? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. You don't have to. <laughs> what be around.
2: <laughs> oh, it's, a bit, it's different. It's different. There's a ton of podcasts out there, so you like to find some variety.
0: Yeah. All right, guys. Thank you so much. And uh, until next time in our next poll, I'd be interested to see what we uh, reviewed. This was not a dumpster fire, so this was a good one to review. All right.